What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com/music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. Scared to Death is explicit in every way. Please take care while listening. Whether thou art a ghost that hath come from the earth, or a phantom of night that hath no hollow, or one that lieth dead in the desert, or a ghost unburied, or a demon, or a ghoul, whatever thou be until thou art removed, thou shalt find here no water to drink. Thou shalt not stretch forth thy hand to our own. Into our house enter thou not. Through our fence break through thou not. We are protected, though we may be frightened. Our life you may not steal, though we may be scared to death. Welcome to Scared to Death, Creeps, Peepers, Roberts, and Annabelles. I'm Dan. Hello, Dan. I'm Lulu. Hello, Lulu. Also known as Sick. Also known as Sneezy Smurf. Oh my God, Sneezy Dwarf. Sneezy Dwarf, Sneezy Smurf, you could be the one. That's true. Okay. <laughs> she is uh, coming out of a little head cold. I've never heard somebody sneeze as much as Lindsay has sneezed the last uh, four or five days. I'm not even convinced entirely that it is a head cold so much as I am convinced that it is a severe allergy situation. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, because my eyes are puffy. It's a whole situation. <laughs> but enjoy it. Enjoy this voice. <laughs> uh, just one quick uh, announcement, and then we're off into the show. Off and running. Uh, the official merch for the third annual Haunted Halloween live event is here. Very cool, creepy illustration from Logan depicting a ghost-like face screaming in terror. Uh, retro horror vibe. T-shirt, sweatshirt, poster, or blanket. And you can also grab tickets to our October 13th, Friday the 13th event at badmagicmerch.com or at moment.co. And uh, yeah, and the show will live on at moment.co until November 1st. You can watch as many times as you want after the live showing. And that's it. That's it. How many stories do you have today, Sneezy? <laughs> I have one long story. I'm okay. very into it. Um, the same kind of thing keeps popping up over and over for one person. And it's fun to track it from childhood to now. All right. So like, what is the deal with this thing? Okay. Look mm -hmm. forward to that. Yeah, me too. Uh, I have my two heading to a pond in Virginia hmm. and to a little island in Canada today. Oh, but you're not allowed in Canada. I know, just but I can go in my mind. Uh, my first story is really three stories mixed with some local lore. Cool. Uh, first, after going over the kinds of paranormal encounters most often reported from people visiting Virginia's Braley Pond, I'll share the story of a murder that took place there that has added to its reputation as a paranormal hotspot. Uh, then we'll go over what an area ghost hunter claims happened to them there. And finally, a young woman's terrifying modern encounter. After that, off to Canada to cover a whole bunch of lore associated mainly with numerous sightings of a night hag in the same area of Newfoundland. 
Then I'll cover other paranormal claims from that area as well. You ready to get going? Um, okay. Okay. All right. Uh, well, quick bit of setup as you get your cozy socks on. Get your psychedelic shroom socks. <laughs> I love that these are psychedelic shroom compression socks. We were discussing <laughs> before the show that these are, yeah, the specific demographic is old lady hippie. <laughs> and I am here for it. So thank you, whoever sent these. Okay, so most of the setup on this uh, first story is is very tragic. Uh, Braley Pond is a four and a half acre campground located in the George Washington and Jefferson National Forest near the city of Stanton, Virginia. Built in 1965 by the U.S. Forest Service, the area serves as a fishing area with several campsites and access to a few different hiking trails. In addition to being a free and scenic campground, well, probably virtually free, uh, Braley Pond also believed to be one of the most haunted places in the entire state of Virginia. Many have claimed to hear the disturbing sounds of disembodied children's laughter in the woods or phantom horse hooves clopping along down the road. Some have also claimed to have seen spirits floating out on the water or coming up out of the water and witness strange orbs of light on and around the water and then shadowy figures lurking around the water's edge. Uh, additionally, the area reportedly brings out a variety of unpleasant reactions among some who visit from feelings of nausea and disorientation to a feeling of dread tied to being unnaturally drawn to the water, as if something in the water wants you to join them and probably drown. Years after claims of the paranormal began around Braley Pond, a tragic murder greatly added to the pond's dark and infamous reputation. On May 22, 2003, 19-year-old Christopher Kennedy was the victim of a brutal gang-related murder at Braley Pond. Chris was a member of a local Crips gang set led by a woman named Candace Knott. No one in Chris's family even knew he was in a gang until early in the evening of May 21st, just several hours before he died. At dinner that night, he showed his grandfather some bruises and scrapes he'd received during his violent initiation. He'd also made a remark about being too young to die and said he wanted to have one more dinner with his family. He was clearly in fear for his life for reasons he didn't disclose. Later that night, a group of people met up at Candace Knott's apartment, including Knott herself, Kalani Noah, Seth Tinsley, and Kenneth Jackson. They discussed punishing Christopher because they worried that he might go to the police and report them for reasons they never disclosed. Initially, they planned to beat him again, but then ultimately they decided to murder him. Kenneth Jackson was the one who told Kalani Noah and Seth Tinsley to kill Christopher and Candace approved the decision. Noah and Tinsley picked Chris up in Stanton in the early morning hours of May 23rd and drove him to the pond. His dead body would turn up hours later and Noah and Tinsley would be arrested and charged the next day. Kalani Noah would plead guilty to first-degree murder a few months later on October 15th. In his confession tape, Noah said that Seth Tinsley told Chris they were going to Braley Pond to rob someone who'd stolen money from Noah. When they arrived, they walked over a wooden bridge, then down a wooden staircase that led to the pond. Tinsley made a few bird calls to pretend he was alerting someone who was supposed to be already there waiting for them. Noah said that around this time, Chris realized what was really happening. He started to cry and said, I don't want to die. Tinsley, only 17 years old, now told Chris he'd be okay, and then snuck up behind him right after assuring him, cut his throat, and pushed him out into the dark water. Wounded but far from dead, and with his windpipe still intact to communicate, Chris started thrashing about in the water and screaming out for Noah, begging for him to help him. Seth Tinsley now ordered Kalani Noah to go out into the water and bring Chris back to shore. Oh my God. Noah tried to calm Chris down. He told him he had just went through a scare test, and he'd passed. But then as they walked back up the stairs, 
Tinsley repeatedly stabbed Chris from behind. Before finishing him off, Tinsley ordered Noah to take off the now probably already fatally wounded Chris's shirt. Chris, still alive, said, don't stab me no more, just let me lay here and die. Tinsley then ordered Noah to finish stabbing Chris to death, and he did. After Noah murdered him, Chris's body was thrown back into the pond. Everyone involved would end up convicted and sentenced. Candace Knott was convicted of accessory and conspiracy and received a 25-year sentence. Kenneth Jackson was convicted of accessory and conspiracy and received a 22-year sentence. Seth Tinsley, found guilty of second-degree murder, sentenced to 25 years, and Kalani received a 30-year sentence. And many believe that following this terrible murder, the amount of paranormal activity at the pond grew darker and increased dramatically. Paranormal researcher Shay Willis is one of those people, and she spoke to writer Charles Moss, who wrote an article about Shay's claims for the website The Dirt. She said she visited Braley Pond in October, on October 25, 2003, just 10 days after Kalani Noah pled guilty, and that she experienced an intense supernatural encounter. Time now for the tale of the horrors of Braley Pond. Shay said that her friend Chris Pugh talked her into doing some ghost hunting. He asked her if she'd heard about the murder that had occurred earlier that year. Shay had not, but she knew that the pond already had a reputation for being haunted. Being someone who had long been intensely curious about the world of the paranormal, Shay decided to go to the pond in the hopes of having some sort of ghostly encounter. Shay and Chris ended up leading a group of about a dozen teenagers who were all interested in spirituality, energy, and the paranormal in general. She said that they all got there at approximately 4.30 p.m., parked their vehicles, and walked over a little wooden bridge leading to the pond. Shay said she immediately experienced strong feelings on the bridge. She told Charles Moss it was so heavy as to be almost palpable. And I knew immediately that this feeling was not my own. I was feeling something that belonged to someone else. By the time they got to a little dam at the pond's edge, two other group members started to feel sick and panicky. Shay herself was feeling nauseous. Everyone was feeling a bit freaked out. The entire group now decided they should leave, and they did. But then Shay and Chris returned later that night around 11.30 p.m. Immediately, she said that the energy felt really off again, just like it had earlier that day. She later described how she felt in her journal, writing, I felt as though it was waiting for us. I sensed another presence behind the original one. This one didn't feel like the others. In fact, it didn't even feel human. When she and Chris took the stairs to the top of the dam a second time, they now heard something in the water. And when they looked towards the sound, they saw what they described as a green glowing orb-shaped thing. She said that the orb was massive and that it floated 30 to 40 feet up in the air before nestling into a pine tree and then vanishing. Right when it blinked out, the two now heard something splashing violently in the pond sounded like a person struggling to stay afloat. They both got the feeling that something was messing with them, that the splashy was meant to lure them towards the dark water. They also both sensed that something strange was approaching them, something terrible. So they ran up the stairs and started to head back to their vehicle. As they were running, Chris fell into the water. Shay said, I don't know how to explain it, except for he literally flew upwards and to the left, as if something had hit him right in the middle of his back, like using his forward momentum and he went off the side of the bridge into the water. Shay ran to the water's edge, kneeled down, and called out to Chris. He said he was okay, scared but not hurt, and he told her to keep heading back to the car. But as soon as she stood up, something now landed on her back. She described it, strangely, as a worm-like object that now moved across the back of her head. She wrote that it felt like psychic jelly, and strangely, that it had tentacles. 
Shay told writer Charles Moss that she realizes her story sounds completely unbelievable, but that there was a witness to this event. She said when she met Chris at their vehicle, she screamed, there's something on me, there's something on me. Chris saw nothing, tried to calm her down, but Shay said she felt like she sort of, uh, that the sort of tentacled creature was still crawling on her. And she seemed to think it may have followed her home. After leaving the pond, Shay experienced terrible nightmares and strange events for weeks. For example, she would find herself unconsciously drawing pictures of the tentacles while she was working. The following month, the two returned to Braley Pond. While they didn't have another intense encounter with the unknown, they did notice odd wildlife behavior and their camera battery, camera battery drained with no explanation. Then, during a later solo trip to Braley Pond, Shay experienced a sense of lost time. She remembered being in the parking lot. Then all of a sudden, she was in the park bathroom with no memory of what happened in between. Following that incident, one evening at home, she heard her son screaming from their living room, and she saw him pointing towards the corner. While she didn't see anything, Shay said that her son told her he saw a man standing in the corner, that he looked scared, and that he had holes in his body. She tried to reassure him it was just a shadow, but she worried it was the ghost of Chris Kennedy. Eventually, she said that the negative side effects of visiting Braley Pond went away. After they did, Shay, is she a possible female Darren, perhaps, Adana, returned four years later in 2007 and then now felt nothing uh, around the pond and she brought nothing home with her. Shay's story, one of many accounts of highly unusual experiences at Braley Pond. Here's one more that I found even more intense. Emma knew it probably wasn't a good idea to go to Braley Pond. In her defense, throwing a party there wasn't her idea. She only went to help out a friend. Her friend was originally told they would be attending an overnight camping trip organized by a group of about 10 people she knew, uh, but she wouldn't be staying overnight for any of the camping. But then the campers invited some friends. Those friends invited some of their friends who told more people still. And pretty soon a small overnight camping trip transformed into a big planned party in the woods. Emma had no interest in going, but her best friend Reagan was going to be there and she decided she'd feel like a bad friend if she let her go alone to a party where some questionable people might be present. Emma and Reagan told the usual lies to their respective parents that they were going to spend the night at each other's houses. This would allow them to stay out all night without suspicion. Emma regretted her decision to follow Reagan to the party as soon as she got there. She was completely out of her element. Emma thought she would find more familiar faces, but most of them were strangers. Reagan soon buried herself chatting with some, or busied herself chatting with some new people she just met and having a good time. She was definitely the more social of their duo. Emma wasn't interested in talking that night, and not just because she could be a bit shy either. Her mood took a sharp downward turn as soon as they got there. She'd been upbeat on the way over, singing in the car with Reagan, telling jokes about who they thought might be at the party. But then as soon as she parked and opened the car door, the whole atmosphere around her changed, bringing a dark cloud over her happy mood. Emma immediately felt irritable and soon more than a little overstimulated. After just a few minutes, she wanted nothing more than just to leave the party. After uh, a few moments of standing around, just being annoyed, following Reagan, going to grab a drink and getting pulled into a conversation with a couple of guys who clearly thought she was cute, she suddenly felt compelled to head towards the water. Emma felt herself being pulled away from the campsite, down the path that led to the pond. She knew the way and could get there without having to think much. She'd been here plenty of times before, just never at night. She was drawn to the water's beauty, the gently moving ripples almost sparkling under the moonlight. At least that's what she thought drew her in at first. Before she knew it, Emma found herself at the bottom of the steps that led to the water's edge. She sat down and rested her head in her hands, staring out at the wide expanse of water in front of her. 
and then she suddenly felt a bit panicked. She realized that she didn't remember much about the walkover. She had just thought about going to check out the pond, and now she was sitting at the water's edge. That was concerning, but she hadn't had anything to drink besides the water that she had brought, and she hadn't even drank any of that since she'd pulled up to the party. That thought made her suddenly worry about Reagan. She should really go back. She thought Reagan didn't know those guys. Neither did she. They might actually put something in her drink. But she really didn't want to stand up. She wanted to just stay right where she was, where it was quiet, where it was so peaceful. She turned her eyes away from the water when she thought about Reagan and almost immediately felt the need to turn back around and look at it. She did exactly that, enjoying the calm that washed over her as she stared out over the dark water. I should go swimming, Emma thought. Or did she actually think that? The thought had clearly entered her mind, but she also knew that she would normally never want to do that. She knew better than to get into a large pond at night with no one watching. But now that was exactly what she wanted to do. It was like she was drunk or high, but she was 100% sober. Now she suddenly wanted to jump in the water and swim around for as long as she could. Just swim and swim and swim around and across until she couldn't swim any farther. And then she would just float and let the calm water carry her. But what if she couldn't float? What if she drowned? What if she started to slip under the water and no one from the party could hear her cries for help? Maybe I should just touch the water instead, Emma thought, still not fully understanding this sudden obsession she had with the pond, while at the same time feeling an intense need to listen to the thoughts running through her mind. Compelled by those thoughts, Emma leaned forward and reached her hand out towards the water, feeling the coolness brush her fingertips before she stuck her hand in deeper. It was so cool, so peaceful. Maybe she should get in and go for a swim. She was about to stand up and start taking off her clothes when she gasped and jerked away. Something had just brushed against her wrist. Before she could even begin to process what may have just touched her, she felt a strong push against the middle of her back and the force had her tumbling straight into the water. And the water was anything but peaceful as she plunged down into the darkness. Her survival instincts now thankfully kicked in. She tried swimming back towards the stairs, towards the surface, kicking her legs, moving her arms, but she wasn't getting any closer to the surface of the water where she had just been pushed in. Despite being a strong swimmer and giving it her all, she was sinking. She continued to kick with all her strength, but she just couldn't make it back to the surface of the water. She was terrified. She was waiting for someone, something, to appear before her in the water at any moment, something horrifying. She was getting dangerously tired. She continued to kick and thrust her body with all her might, but still couldn't make it back up for air. Right when she started to think that there was a real good chance she was about to die, Emma's flailing hand brushed against another. She felt the fingers, the palm, the wrist, then the arm. She grabbed hold and now felt the sensation of being pulled up and out of the water. The next thing she knew, she was back on the stairs, dripping wet and gasping for air. She looked all around for the person who had just saved her, but she was completely alone. Not another soul in sight. Instead of lingering by the dark water any longer and risking being pushed back in, she scrambled up the stairs as fast as she could. Then she made her way back across the bridge, back to the party where Reagan spotted her soaking wet from uh, her soaking wet form trudging towards her car. Reagan and several others ran over to her, asked her what the hell had happened. Emma wasn't sure what to say, so she told a version of the truth, that she fell into the water. She didn't include any talk of what she thought was in that water and she didn't share any of the strange, intrusive thoughts she'd been having. She didn't want to share any details about what had really happened because she didn't actually know what had really happened. And now Emma still wonders who or what pushed her into the water and who or what saved her. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How about that guy? 
Mm-hmm. That's so sad. That was such a sad start to the story. I know. Yeah. Ugh. So young. All of them so young. So young. Oof. Yeah. Uh, I have some pictures. Okay. This first one, a picture of Braley Pond Campground. Oh, pretty. Mm-hmm. Guess one like, the, you know, those little wooden bridges, that little one there is what those reference in some of the stories. Yeah, yeah. And then this next picture is the, the wooden stairs that lead down to the water's edge that shows up in the stories. That is beautiful. Yeah, really like it is really peaceful looking. Mm-hmm. And then this this following picture, uh, just those same stairs, but at night and different angle. So you can see that little landing at the bottom. Yeah. People probably use just to look at the water or fish. Uh, this next one, a newspaper clipping featuring Candace Knott and Kenneth Jackson. Aye, aye, aye. Right? Two of the young gang members involved in Christopher Kennedy's, Christopher Kennedy's murder. So crazy. Yeah. They're all just babies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so many lives ruined in one night. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't find any good pics associated with the uh, two modern encounter stories, but when I Googled young woman in a pond, a whole photo shoot of stock images came up with this lady, like so many of them. Okay. Just a bunch of like photos of her in the water. And then I was thinking about how, like you can put almost any scenario into a web image search and find like stock photos. True. Like I don't know who is taking all these photos. So then I just like randomly searched for lady eating pizza in the snow and a whole photo shoot came up. What? Of just a random lady. Eating some slices of pizza in thick snow in what appears to be some kind of park. That is so weird. And it's not sexual or anything. It's just a lady in a, in a hat and a coat eating pizza in the park. It's like, what was that for? Who took that photo? There are, it, it is crazy. And, I, and there's other ones that I didn't include. But you could just put like old man eating grapes in the woods. And you're going to find a photo shoot of an old man eating grapes in the woods. Did you put that specific shirt? No, I'm, oh. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. But it's like, it is crazy. You can get pretty specific. Yeah. And you're like, why would anyone want that? Like that, that yeah, photo. What would you need that for? I think people use it in articles and things. And I guess just like it fits their web article or I don't know. But, but who's going out and having these photo shoots? They're like, you know what somebody might need one day? Exactly. Some, somebody might need a photo of an old man eating grapes in the woods. <laughs> exactly. So let's go make that happen just in case somebody needs yeah. that image for free. I just I just imagine like the checklists that certain photographers are yeah. putting together. Or, okay, we got like junior high kid uh, uh, using Legos, uh, you know, at, at a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. We got, you know, elderly woman uh, playing Uno in a basement. Like just like these very specific settings and people. I like it. I feel <laughs> yeah. like I could come up with some weird scenarios. <laughs> I'll just keep them in my head, but I'll be just doing some Google later. <laughs> so I was, I was wondering in this, in that story, if Shay from the, you know, that, that the ghost hunter who yes. went there with her friend was a Donic, just because she kept going back. It's like her first experience was terrible. And she brought it home. Right. She thought she brought something home. Kid. Mm-hmm. And then she went back like numerous additional times. And especially the last time when it's been years, it's like, if, if you had all these crazy, horrible feelings, you thought you brought something home that like was scaring your kid and then things calmed down. I don't know, maybe never go back there. But she's not smart. Yeah, and, and I feel like she got her proof of the paranormal. Right. She she's had, not making smart choices, I should say. Right, 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 right. So it's like, okay, you got you got to have an experience. Why keep doubling down on that same thing when, you know, the experience was largely negative? I, I mean... Some, in some instances, I guess I understand like a, a second time because you're like, yeah. all right, did I make it all up? Was it just like sure. manufactured in my brain? But two confirmations, I feel like, is enough. You don't yeah. need to keep doing more. Nah, just you could leave that pawn forever. But I mean, maybe if something intense like that had happened to me, maybe I would want to just keep you know going back and be like, well, what's going to happen next time? What's going to happen next time? Well, in this uh, situation, it does Maybe I'm a Darren. Oh, maybe you are. In this situation, it does feel a bit like the water like calls you back. So maybe you have less mm. control over it than you think. 
Oh, yeah. Like maybe you don't. It's drawing her. Yeah, maybe your conscious self is like, you're good. You don't need to do that. But yeah. your subconscious self is like, go this way. Yeah. <laughs> Over here. <laughs> Over here. Into the water. Maybe the subconscious is some little thing that she still has with her. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Um, when you started telling the story that I think it's like an Avicii like remix or maybe it's like One Republic or something, but this, there must be something in the water. There must be something in the water. Yeah, yep. yeah. That's all I could hear in my head for like several minutes. I was like, don't. Okay. Move on from that, Lindsay. Move on from that. Now I have that in my head. You're it's, welcome. It's very catchy. Uh, okay. So. I won't. I, won't, uh, I know. That's a little. There must be something in the water, she said. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you ready to uh, head up to Canada? Uh, I am. You're probably not, but I am. Wow. Oh, so sad. Before we move on to claims of encounters with a night hag and more, Ooh. we need to take a quick in-between story sponsor break. Please take advantage of these sponsored deals. Use our codes and landing pages so we can uh, save you uh, some money and we keep getting sponsored. Yay! NetCredit is here to say yes because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where one travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com/music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Thanks for listening to our sponsor deals, Creeps and Peepers. Uh, no setup on this one. We're just going to jump right into a whole bunch of paranormal happenings. Time now for the tale of Newfoundland's night terrors. For over 100 years, residents of the Canadian province of Newfoundland and Labrador, but mostly the Newfoundland part, uh, have appeared to be particularly susceptible, possibly unnaturally susceptible to sleep paralysis. Many locals believe there's a supernatural element behind it. There are just so, so many reports of people claiming that they've woken up to the same old hag-like figure crouching on their chest and staring at them in the darkness. And they've been coming in, these reports, for well over 100 years. As noted by Nouveau Magazine in July of 2020, it's undeniably strange that so many people in one geographic region report identical experiences. The phenomenon was first mentioned in print in the Journal of American Folklore, in 1890. Wow. The figure is typically described as being witch-like, with wrinkles and long hair. While her look doesn't seem to change much from most encounters uh, to an, uh, one to another, where she is spotted does vary a little bit. While she's mostly witnessed sitting on victims' chests, pinning them down so they can't move, in some cases, she appears standing in their doorways or next to their beds. Numerous locals have used the phrase, I was hagged last night, mm -hmm. or I got hag-ridden 
to describe encounters with this this phantom. Uh, There have been so many claims that the Folklore and Language Archive at the Memorial University of Newfoundland embarked on a special project collecting accounts from people who have allegedly seen this thing. David J. Hufford, a former faculty member and author of a book about these old hag experiences published in 1982 called The Terror That Comes in the Night, wrote about some of the Newfoundland and Labrador claims. Hufford wrote back in 1970 that the university, or wrote that back in 1970, the university sent out a questionnaire to students. Students were allowed to respond with their own stories, or if they had no personal experiences to share, they were encouraged to conduct interviews with locals who did. Two students interviewed a 62-year-old woman who vividly remembered someone else's hag story. She said that the incident occurred way back in 1915 and involved three people named Robert, John, and Jean. Robert wanted to date Jean, who was already in a relationship with John. Oh, boy. Robert pursued Jean anyway for about a month before he said he began to be hagged. The woman telling his story said every night when he went to bed, it was as if someone was pressing across his chest. It was as if he was being strangled. Robert became so sick that the people he boarded with thought he was going to die. But one night, an old man suggested that Robert place a piece of board directly across his chest with an opened-up pocket knife held between his hands. It was hoped that when the hag came to lie across his chest, the hag would be killed. However, in the morning when Robert got up, he found that the knife was sticking into the piece of board. If not for the board, Robert felt he would have been stabbed to death. Perhaps because the hag thought he had killed Robert, it never came back again, though. Robert said that the hag looked like a human. He also said that he always heard it coming, and once he started to hear it, he suddenly couldn't speak or make any noises at all except for throaty noises. Uh, He also said that once the hag climbed on top of him, he could no longer breathe. Robert believed that the hag could be summoned like a demon, and he believed that John, the man his love interest was dating, was the man who summoned it and directed it towards him. He said he heard that the way to summon the entity was to say the Lord's Prayer backwards, and the only way to avoid the hag was to draw blood using the word of God and to keep a light on in the bedroom. Local folklorist Dale Jarvis spoke with Nouveau Magazine again in the summer of uh, or in the summer of 2020 and said that when locals are asked about ghost encounters, they typically claim they don't believe in the supernatural, yet those same people often eager to share their stories about the hag. Several other media outlets posted encounter stories about the hag. Writer Haley Freak wrote about her uh, or Freaky, possibly wrote about her grandmother's encounter with a hag in an article for The Muse in October of 2019, writing, My nan explained her experience to me as a woman with long, dark hair, pinning her down, preventing her from being able to move her limbs and not being able to scream. Uh, Pasha Mala, a writer for the media outlet The Walrus, interviewed a woman named Carolyn Gill back in the fall of 2010 who claimed she had multiple encounters with a hag. Carolyn described one particularly disturbing incident, saying, A woman was crawling across the floor and up onto my bed. I could actually feel the mattress shift under her weight, but I couldn't move. I couldn't do anything. She got on top of my chest and started to strangle me. That's when I got a good look at her face, and it was me. (gasps) One of the rare encounters where the entity does not take the shape of an old witch-like woman. I imagine Carolyn would have preferred seeing that old witch than to seeing herself. The epicenter of all this Newfoundland hag activity seems to be a place called Bell Island. Bell Island, part of the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, is the largest island in Conception Bay, home to just over 2,000 people. Europeans first came to the island way back in the 16th century, and the first permanent settlement was established in the early 18th century. Bell Island is home to an old lighthouse, iron ore mines, and years of folklore and history. 
from 1895 to 1966, a large iron ore mine (laughs) was the primary industry on the island. And briefly, the area was actually one of the most important iron ore producers in the world. Over 12,000 people lived on the island when the mines were most active, six times its current population. And many of those people, at least in the last few decades of mining, apparently were terrorized by the same entity. Hag phenomena became so common on Bell Island that the specter began to be called the Bell Island Hag. Henry Crane, the chairperson of Tourism Bell Island, spoke to the reporter for the CBC in 2016 and explained that the Hag's origin story takes place shortly before World War II. German sailors who were transporting iron ore back to Europe would come ashore on Bell Island not just for work, but also to dance and drink and flirt with many of the local young women. One of the girls who caught some of the sailors' attention was a servant for a wealthy family on the island. Then right after the war broke out, some German sailors, now enemies of Canada, ended up hiding in a wooded area of the island. One day, the girl spotted some of these sailors, but before she could alert anyone else to their presence, she was kidnapped and taken to a swamp near a farm called Dobbins Garden. The sailors drowned her in the swamp, and according to legend, her spirit has haunted the area ever since. Many of those who have claimed to have been visited by her uh, visited by her, say she appears initially as a beautiful young woman, dressed all in white. Then as she moves closer, the spirit transforms into something nightmarish. She begins crawling rather than walking. Her white clothing turns to dark rags. The flesh falls off her body, her youth and beauty replaced by a rotting witch-like appearance, and a horrible stench fills the air. Whoever sees her becomes paralyzed with fear, and typically they hear the spirit say over and over, no one came to help me, no one will help you. Taste what I tasted, smell what I smelled. Some men who have walked through the swampy area have reportedly gone missing for several days, then come out of the swamp unaware that any time had passed. All they have is a memory of seeing a hag approaching them. The hag is not the only entity allegedly haunting the island. According to several sources, there were 106 fatalities and many more accidents during the Bell Mine or during the activity period of the Bell Island Mines. Years after the mine shut down in 1966, the Bell Island Heritage Society began offering tours. And local Henry Crane, who has guided some of these tours, told a journalist working on a story about the island for saltwire.com that he can feel the miners' spirits watching him when he's in the old mines. He said that he and others have heard disembodied whispers and footsteps. And these type of sightings have also occurred uh, also occurred back when the mines were still in operation. According to folklorist Dale Jarvis, speaking to the Newfoundland Herald, one Sunday, a group of people were sitting down for tea when they all saw a line of workers walk out of the mine, despite the fact that the mine was closed that day. As they looked at the miners and tried to figure out what was going on, they realized that several dead men were among the group. They walked out of the mine one after the other, then all vanished a few moments later. A significant number of miners have also reported an encounter with an evil, evil female spirit, possibly the spirit of the old hag, possibly something different. The story goes that one day a group of miners were collecting water from a well when they found a young woman's body in the water. After they removed her body, mine number four became a paranormal hotspot. Miners claimed they were attacked by the woman's spirit to the point that they sought treatment at the local hospital. This lasted for years until the mid-60s, when the woman's killer was reportedly identified. Additionally, an unusual encounter with something extraterrestrial may have once occurred on Bell Island, back in 1978. An unexplained electromagnetic pulse rocked the island April 2nd of that year. Referred to as the Bell Island Boom, 
The EMP caused significant electrical interference and equipment damage due to an extremely large burst of energy. It was Sunday, and the mysterious blast took place at around 11 a.m. A huge bang was heard on Bell Island, loud enough that people heard it over 60 miles away. The energy shook buildings, even killed some pets, livestock, and wild animals. There were numerous reports of damaged wiring and damaged appliances. The epicenter of the explosion occurred somewhere on the Bickford Farm near Lance Cove. 12-year-old local Darren Bickford would claim that he was out riding his bike when he saw two spheres flying through the air moments before the bang. News outlets, including the Newfoundland Herald, published his account. Darren recalled, I was outside riding my pedal bike, and I knew one of my favorite shows came on television at 11. So I was pedaling back home. As I approached the end of our driveway, all the birds stopped chirping, all the dogs stopped barking. It just went so still. And then it was both. It's like a shotgun blast followed by a ball of light and then followed immediately after the second ball. The ground shook underneath me. It was the biggest noise I've ever heard in my life. It was hovering off the ground when it appeared out of thin air and beautiful colors of blue made up most of the center of the ball. And outside of the blue, there was orange and yellow. Mixing together and then just like that, the ball of light just disappeared into thin air. I was terrified of what it was, but I was transfixed by it. The ball of light and the colors and the way it swirled around, it was as if you couldn't help but stare at it, even though I was scared. It was all over in four or five seconds, but those four or five seconds are burned into my brain just like a roll of film. Another woman claimed at that time she saw a beam of light shoot into the sky. Others said they heard a ringing before the blast. Bell Island residents reported their TV sets exploding, motors burning out, even fireballs shooting out from their ovens. Jim Bickford recalled to a reporter, The fuses in the fuse box, these glass fuses, screwed into the panel. They came out like bullets, went about 20-odd feet the length of the hallway, and buried themselves into the wall. It was a terrific explosion. I was standing in my kitchen when the fire came out about 18 inches across the table here, straight in a blue flame. The EMP destroyed the Bickford's chicken coop, killed all the chickens. Fire investigators sent their findings to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, who concluded the explosion was caused by lightning. A lot of locals do not buy that. A report from April 3, 1978, published by the Red Deer Advocate, states RCMP paid, uh, said it appeared the crash was due to, uh, to some form of lightning, but the weather office at St. John's reported no unusual atmospheric activity at the time of the occurrence Sunday morning. There was some speculation that the explosion was an attack by Russia, or that the U.S. was testing a secret weapon and something went horribly wrong, or that the bang was extraterrestrial in nature. American scientists from Los Alamos Scientific Laboratory reportedly even made a secret visit to the island to investigate. If they wrote up any conclusions, they didn't seem to have shared them. The cause of the Bell Island boom, still unknown. As is the reason so many locals have claimed to be terrorized and still be terrorized by the old hag for well over a century. Two enduring mysteries in an area seemingly loaded with all kinds of paranormal activity. I mean, that's one reason to be happy you can't go to Canada. The hag can't get you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, when it was uh, that one with the girl where it was her own face, that I would, oh, that would be so awful. And seeing some woman crawl across the floor. Yeah, like like, crawl up onto the clackety. bed. Uh-huh. <laughs> feel the weight of them on the mattress. They climb over on top of you, reveal their face, and it's you. Oh. <gasps> Yikes. I think I would pass out. Yeah, just pass out from mm -hmm. terror. Yeah. Uh, before sharing any of the pics, I just want to say that I have no idea uh, what um, this one guy meant when he said that you draw blood. I think it was John or no, Robert. What he meant when he said that you draw blood using the word of God to help protect yourself from the old hack. So I just, I don't know what that means by drawing blood using that. Oh, word. I'm assuming that like 
he would like have a knife and like cut the hag, draw oh. her blood. Oh, okay, maybe. Like yeah. not like not like you know you're donating blood. They're not gonna like hook you up to an IV <laughs> sure, and do like sure. a whole thing. Like let me draw some blood here. No, <laughs> yeah. it's like you know hurt the entity yeah. in order to make it bleed. Okay, is okay, how, is how I would interpret it. That's probably right. Well, well I am right very often. <laughs> A little. It's not true. Uh, this first uh, picture, a little AI rendering of what the old hag might look like from an article about the Newfoundland old hag phenomena in Nouveau magazine. It took my eyes a second to focus. Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. looking in the wrong spot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty gnarly, witchy situation. Yeah. Uh, this is pretty cool. This next picture, this is from 2016. Canada's Postal Service celebrated the legend of the Bell Island hag with a stamp. Ha, huh, that's awesome. Yeah, like a commemorative stamp. They're like, let's just, you know, own it. Yeah, lean into it. Well, look at her one arm, like, uh-huh. bent backwards. As that lady in white starts to transform into a monster. Yeah, that's cool. And then this last one, just a dramatization of what 12-year-old local Darren Bickford saw with the uh, Bell Island boom. Mm. Right, that ball of light as he's riding his bike, show up. That would be so bizarre. I know, so bizarre. And he said, you know, two actually, two spheres of light. But yeah, how weird. There's a little kid riding your bike, see these like giant uh, orbs of light with all these twirling colors inside of them. And then they shoot off into the sky. And as that's happening, you feel like this earthquake, you know, kind of sensation. Yeah. And then and then find out that like, you know, electrical damage, was, you know, occurred all around the island. And just like, yeah, just weird. Weird. Weird, weird, weird. Weird, weird, weird. And, uh, and that's all I have. That's all you have. Let's see if I made any important notes. I don't think I did. I was mostly I was trying not to like sneeze and cough into the mic. I know, yeah. Good I job. know. You know when like you have a cold and like the inside of your nose just tickles and uh-huh. it tickles all the way up to like your third eye. <laughs> I'm just like ah, but like you think a sneeze is coming, but it's not. It's just like it feels like ants yeah. crawling around in your head. A little tingling in your sinus. Oh god, it's so annoying. And I realized about mm, 20 minutes into this, I didn't take any medicine this morning. Oh, man. I know. So Zip home after we're done. Yip, yip home. Yes, I will. Okay, do you have a little Layla over there? Oh. Where were you hiding her this whole time? Uh, she was just next to my water bottle. Oh, okay. I just couldn't see her. And mm-hmm. I just thought it was weird because I thought you just like pulled her out from like your pants pocket or something. Nope. And then I thought, like, okay, if you're just walking around with Layla's in your pocket, <laughs> it's like, are you happy to see me or is that a Layla in your I pocket? Saw, I saw a blue one showed up in the mail uh, or showing up in the mail today. A little okay. Amazon notification. Hmm. More Layla's. Layla. <laughs> Layla, 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 Layla. All right. Well, I have one big story for you. Okay. And um, the sender of the story entitled it The Hitchhiker. Ooh, I like that title. Mm-hmm. But not Hitchhiker in the way that you might think. Okay. Okay. Hello, Dan and Lindsay. Hello. Hello. In order for you to understand why I react to some things the way that I do, you have to know that I see dead people. I'm not sure how else to say that. Sometimes it's obvious to me and sometimes I don't realize right away that there are ghosts or whatever, that they are ghosts or whatever they are. I'm not a clairvoyant. I am not a clairvoyant and certainly no medium. I can't summon your grandmother or your late spouse. They're just kind of around just like people are. Sometimes they realize I can see them and of those that do, most seem to find it somewhat amusing that I can see them. They very seldom speak to me if they speak at all, but I will often get a smile or a head nod if they notice that I can see them. On rare occasions, some seem almost frightened that I can see them, and even more rare from that is that some get angry, so I try not to make it obvious that I can see them. I can also accept the possibility that perhaps I have an undiagnosed mental condition of some kind and none of what I see is real, but it certainly seems real and it has my whole life. 
I've never seen demons or monsters. My children have told me that I should write a book about my life, but I doubt anyone would be interested or that they would even believe me. But when I asked them if I should send in one of my experiences, they all agreed I should tell you about the hitchhiker. So here we go. I grew up in a very small house. Uh, and it was three houses away from a channel where I spent many of my summers fishing. My parents divorced when I was young, so it was just my mother and my older brother and sister and me. My sister had her own room, which was barely bigger than a closet, and my brother and I shared a room with bunk beds. Our house was one of, if not, the oldest house on our block. It had gone through a couple of owners and had some minor extensions added on as it was originally a two-room bungalow. There was a child, or what I believe to be a child, in that house. No one else seemed to notice him, and he didn't interact with anyone except for me. I was scared at the time, but I didn't want to tell anyone for fear they would think I was either lying or crazy. He would mess with me all of the time. He liked to turn off the television while I was watching it. And this was the late 70s. There was no remote that I could have leaned against. You would have to actually get up and push or pull the buttons to turn it on and off and turn the dial to change the channels. One time I had made myself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and left it on the coffee table in the living room to get myself something to drink from the kitchen. When I returned to the living room, the plate and sandwich were gone. After searching around for a bit, I found it in the bathroom sink. I couldn't really see him straight on. I would see movement out of the corner of my eye. But when I looked that way, I couldn't actually see him. But I knew he was there and could hear him walking around. As I got older, I became much less afraid and much more curious. I could catch glimpses of him, but he would always fade away quickly before I could really see him. I would also hear whispering, either in my room or just outside the bedroom door. But my brother never heard any of it. When I was about 12 or 13, I found a child's test paper among some games that we had in a box. It was a spelling test with very basic words on it. It had a star drawn on it and the words, very good, written across the top. None of us knew where this test paper had come from. Things seemed to turn up a notch from that moment on. There was a lot more whispering, a lot more walking around, sometimes running footsteps now, and my things were constantly being moved around. One night, I had gotten up to use the bathroom, and he was standing in the living room, just outside my bedroom door, watching me. I didn't even realize it was him at first. I had just woken up and was wondering who the little kid standing in the living room was. He looked to be about six or seven, dirty blonde hair, bluish-gray eyes. He looked up at me and seemed surprised that I was looking at him. I wanted to talk to him and find out what he wanted and why he was there, but I really had to go to the bathroom. I turned in the direction of the bathroom and was going to tell him to just wait for me, but when I looked back, he was gone, just like that. The next day, I looked for the test paper, but now that was gone as well. Just like when it appeared, nobody knew what had happened to it. I finally told my mother what I had been seeing and hearing, and she told me that she didn't think I was crazy. In fact, when I was very young, I had her firmly believing in reincarnation because of the stories I would tell her in detail about all the other places we lived. When she said, we never lived there, I would reply with something like, no, no, that was with my other family. I don't remember any of that, but it sure creeped her out. She also told me that when she was looking to buy this house, one of the neighbors had mentioned that there was a boy who had lived there who had drowned in the channel years ago. Over the years, I've tried to research this uh, to see if the story was true, but I could never find anything to verify it. When I was 18, my sister and I moved out of my family's house and into an apartment in Long Beach on Long Island in New York. I'll use a fake address because nothing actually happened at the address, and I don't want to cause undue stress for whomever might be living there right now, but it is relevant to the story. 
So we'll say I lived at 22 Johnson Street. <laughs> One night, I'd gone to visit my mother. My apartment was about a half an hour away, and I would visit now and again. When I left to go back home, it was absolutely pouring rain. Near my mother's house on my way home, there's a 7-Eleven. I smoked back then, so I had stopped for a cup of coffee and a pack of cigarettes. As I was pulling into the parking lot, I saw this guy walking on the side of the road opposite the 7-Eleven. He was holding up his coat over his head to try and shield himself from the rain, but he was soaked anyways. I felt bad and thought about asking him if he needed a ride somewhere, but my mother's voice popped into my head that said, never pitch up hi- pick up hitchhikers. I pulled up in front of the store, and as I got out, I looked across the street and couldn't find him anymore. I figured maybe he'd found an awning or something to duck under to wait out the rain. When I pulled out of the parking lot to continue on my way home, there he was again, walking on the side of the road. I couldn't just drive by. I felt like I had to ask this guy if he wanted a ride, so I pulled over and asked him. He very excitedly said yes and got into the car and thanked me profusely. I had a velour bench seat that was now soaking wet. He looked to be in his 20s or early 30s, had blue-gray eyes, and light brown, dirty blonde hair. I couldn't really tell, though, because it was wet. But we started talking. He had a heavy Brooklyn-type accent. He bummed a smoke off of me, and I asked him where he was going. He was going to Island Park, which was on my way home, but I had to take a different road than I usually would. This road split off to the right, ran parallel to the road I was on, and then merged back onto the road that took me home. He was telling me that he was a mechanic, just like me, and about some car he was working on. I wasn't paying close attention to what he was saying as the downpour made it difficult to see very far. I was concentrating hard on the road, but I was still on guard. After all, he was a stranger. I was watching him out of the side of my eye. And then he asked me where I lived. And although it didn't strike me as odd, we were just making conversation. I still had no intention of telling a stranger my address. So I told him I lived in another town, but I was visiting a friend in Long Beach. While I was telling him that, he had a little smirk on his face and he said, Oh yeah? I used to live in Long Beach. And I said, yeah, no kidding, whereabouts? He slowly turned his head towards me, and when he spoke, it was his same voice, but no longer had the Brooklyn accent. He said very plainly, I live at 22 Johnson Street. I suddenly felt like I just got called on in school but didn't do my homework. (laughs) I got a chill right to the bone. I was now thinking, oh my God, this guy knows where I live. He's going to kill me. My sister's going to be alone. What is he going to do to her? My mind was racing as I thought about what to do. He then turned his head forward once more and said, okay, this is good. You can let me out here. I immediately pulled over and slowly wrapped my hand around my door handle, ready to jump out if he tried to attack me. I wanted this guy out of my car and away from me as soon as possible. I stopped and put the car in park, and his voice went right back to that Brooklyn-esque accent, and he thanked me several times and got out of the car. I didn't take my eyes off of him as he got out. He closed the door and started to walk towards the back of the car. As he passed between the front and back door, which was only a few inches wide, he disappeared as if walking through a door and I couldn't see him. He never appeared again. I started thinking that he was ducking down, that he was going to slash my tires or something, (laughs) so I jumped out to look around but he was just simply gone. There were no bushes that he could have hidden in, no manhole he could have jumped down, nothing, just gone. I jumped back in the car, slammed the door shut, locked the doors, and did a quick check of the back seat. I started to drive away, shaken but glad to be rid of the guy. I had about a 10-minute drive home, and I tried to sort things out in my head. I glanced over at my passenger seat. It was bone dry now. I was confused, but I couldn't think about that now. I had to get home. Once home, I locked the door, ran upstairs to my apartment, grabbed my machete, ready to take care of this guy if he came back for me. 
Time passed and I calmed down and I started thinking about what the chances were that I just happened to pick up this guy and he knew who I was and where I lived. I wasn't in the habit of picking up people. And although I call him the hitchhiker, he wasn't actually hitchhiking. So I didn't think he could have set me up like that. It all seemed too weird. It got late, I got tired and I fell asleep. The next day, I found out that there was a bad accident on the road that I would have been on had I not detoured onto the other road because of my hitchhiker. Would I have been in that accident had I been on that road? I'll never know, but if not, that would be one hell of a coincidence. The next time I saw him was unfortunately very brief. It was a couple years later. I was back at my mother's for a couple of months before I moved into another place. It was early evening, and I was sitting on the couch watching television, and I fell asleep. I had a dream that I was driving my car at night down a narrow road that looked familiar, but I couldn't put my finger on where it was. As I was driving on the road, I suddenly saw someone walking in the middle of the road towards me, waving their arms as if to flag me down. I slowed down to a stop, put the car in park. It was the hitchhiker. As I was getting out of the car, he started yelling, no, 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 get back in the car, get back in the car, get out of here. He was shouting this at me. Two groups of people came out from behind parked cars on both sides of the road, and one car drove up behind me so I couldn't drive away. They had some kinds of weapons, looked like bats and sticks. And just as they reached me, I woke up. Out of breath and sweating, I realized, oh, it was just a dream. I was safe in the house. Sometime later that night, I went to make myself a cup of coffee, but we were out, so I figured I'd run to the store and grab some. I was listening to the radio, not paying attention, and accidentally passed the the store. So I went around the block to go back. I made a right turn to go down a block and it began to look all too familiar. And then I saw in the middle of the road, the hitchhiker walking towards me, waving his arms. I don't know how I didn't blow the transmission in my car because I slammed on the brakes, shifted into reverse and took off back out the way I came faster than I could ever imagined. I didn't go back home. I went to see my brother. He was working late that night and I hung out with him for a bit and told him what had happened. The last time I saw the hitchhiker, I didn't even realize it was him until much later on. It was many years later, after I was married and was living in Suffolk County, but still on Long Island. There was a shopping center about six minutes from my house that I had to make an errand to. I told my wife I'd be right back. While I was out shopping, I needed batteries, and I stopped into the radio shack at the shopping center. I went in, bought my AA batteries, and as I was leaving the store, I called my wife to see if she needed anything on my way home. She didn't, and I said I'd be home in a few minutes. When I reached my car, there was a somewhat familiar-looking guy in the parking lot with a brown paper bag in his hand. He saw me, and he came over to ask if I wanted to buy some batteries. I told him he was too late, and I'd just gotten some. He he saw them and said the batteries were cheap and no good, and I needed copper-top batteries. He said it would be five bucks. I figured he was probably homeless or something, and he can't really have too many batteries. (laughs) So I said, what the heck, and I bought them. He thanked me, told me to have a good day, and walked away. I was home six minutes later. When I went in the house, my wife asked me where I had been. And I told her she knew where I had been. I was at the shopping center. She said, yep, I know that. But that when I called her and said I'd be home in a few minutes, it had been two hours since then. I looked at the clock and to my shock, it was in fact two hours later. And that's when it suddenly dawned on me. The guy with the batteries was the hitchhiker. I didn't realize it at the time, but I know it was him. The dirty blonde hair and the bluish gray eyes definitely him. And that's what I told my wife about all the other times I had seen him. To this day, I have no idea what happened during that time or what was being kept, what I was being kept from, but somehow I lost two hours. And when I looked back, I had no copper top batteries, but I was missing $5. <laughs> I don't know who he is or was or what his name is. My friends who I've told these stories to suggest he might be my guardian angel if there is such a thing. But I'm not anyone important. Why would there be an angel sent to protect me? 
It's possible that it was the little kid from the house I grew up in. Same eye and hair color, just much older. I don't know. At this point in my life, what I've seen and experienced, I've come to accept that there are just some things I will never know the answers to and that I seem to have some sort of ethereal friend who apparently looks out for me from time to time. Craig. Nice story, Craig. Yeah, I just love that like lifelong. Uh-huh. I mean, I would say it's more of an attachment, but like not in the negative nature necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Before he said that at the end, I was like, "Was it the same spirit? Is it from the house? Like as a kid?" I'm like, and he acknowledged that. Yeah. But then I, my mind went to like a variety of places where first, you know, some type of like guardian angel, some spirits. Yeah. And then when he was saying like, you know, like, but why me? I'm not somebody important. Then my mind went to like like matrixy places, almost Ooh. like like the Terminator franchise where they have to go back and like you know save Sarah Connor to make sure that John Connor is going to be oh, around. Yeah. For the and I just thought about like. Even if you're not doing anything that you think is like, you know, world changing or whatever, I think about like that butterfly effect. Yes. Or also just like a descendant where it's like, what if, so then my mind went to like time traveler where it's mm-hmm. like some type of time traveling thing where this like, we have to keep this person alive oh, so, yeah. so that they can, uh, get, you know, uh, marry so-and-so and have this kid that will have that kid that will have that kid. And then that person is going to change the world. Or, Domino you know, effect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I just thought it was like so cool that this thing had, I I think it is the same thing and it like has stuck with him, but we don't often hear about spirits aging. That's what kind of like threw me. Oh yeah. Is that like at first it was like some like little kid and then over the years it, it shifts and grows with him. That makes me wonder like, is that spirit sort of living out a timeline parallel to this other person? (laughs) Right. In like almost like um like living like vicariously through them or something. I don't know. Or but then do- like, but then sometimes like when it like recognizes danger could be upon them, it's like, well, my my uh my current living human that I'm attached to can't mm-hmm. die because if they die, then like my journey stops here. Like I'm, could that be a thing where they're kind of Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I guess anything could be possible. Yeah. Or does or does it just eternally pres- connected? Does it present itself different? to kind of like match this person to match, you know, Craig, where it's like, maybe if it appeared as a, an adult figure when Craig was a kid, that would have freaked him out in a different way. Oh yeah. Like kind of like coming to him at his own level. Yeah. Be less threatening or something. Yeah. But that is, I I didn't think about that, about like, why would this show up at different, if it's the same entity Mm -hmm. kind of mirror his age? Yeah. Maybe Craig. What do you look like? Is it possible that it's like a loose doppelganger? Because yeah. that's the only character, character, that's the only like entity that I can think <laughs> of that oftentimes really changes. We'll yeah. hear about it. You know, it's like, I just think back to like this one doppelganger story from the fan side that we had ages ago where it was like this brother, sister, the brother would see a doppelganger of his sister. And he said it was like eerily accurate. Like if, if his it would be, oh no, or maybe it was just a little bit like delayed. Maybe that's what it was. It was like, if his sister got a haircut and he's, oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. would see the doppelganger yep. and it wouldn't have the haircut, but then he would see it again later and it would. Like it was yeah. kind of like slowly catching up to where his <laughs> yeah. sister was or something. But I do remember that. Yeah. I don't know. I, my favorite part of that story was when he had that weird dream where the- oh, Yeah, going down the road. Yeah, the hitchhiker pops out, like, you know, get out of here, get oh, out of here. Yeah. And then there's these people with like sticks and you know, like whatever, like the like weapons. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, what? I mean, it felt like a dream before he said like he- But then uh, how that came back is when he like went to the, you know, going to go to the store, yeah, I believe. Yeah, he was going to the market to get some coffee. Yep. And then all of a sudden, like, wait a minute, like drives by it, distracted, 
drives around behind it. Right. And then it's the, he's like, this looks familiar, that whole like deja vu. And uh-huh. then that entity comes back out and like waves him like, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God, that, that would be such confirmation. If that happened to me, yeah. I'm like, I don't know what exactly is going on, but that is 100% some kind of paranormal situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. It wasn't like the scary story, but I just like, uh, you know, a longer confirmation tale. Mm-hmm. We haven't had yep. one like that in a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just love the variety this this far in. Yep. You know, like like four years now, or what, I think it's four. Yeah. Yeah, four years. Yeah, four years now. And just, you know, so many different paranormal stories. So many at this so, point. So, so many. And there's still constantly ones where I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought of that angle, or, or, or that's a unique twist, or that's different. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do some shout outs? I do. Do you want me to start or do you, or do you want to start? Oh, uh, you can go first. Sure. Okay. I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for supporting us on Patreon. Philip Banfield. Uh, ooh, I was going to say Tasha, but it's T-A-S-I-A. I think it's Tasha. So probably Tosh, Tasha or Tasia uh, and, Gabri- and Gabrielle. Heather Robinson. Marty Church. I feel like I'm, I feel confident about that one. Uh, Uriel Bohorquez. Or uh, Bohorquez, yeah, I think. Uh, uh, Kali Martinez, Michelle and Megan, Brandon Stout, <laughs> uh, Stink Butt Fart Blossom, Karen, <laughs> and then Carolyn Ward. It's it's a tough time to be a Karen, you know? I know. It's a really tough time. <laughs> uh, I'd like to thank the following Annabelles for their support on Patreon and allowing us to donate to Camp Mori this month. Yeah. Brooke Cox, Katarina Lee, Pixie. Wiccan 31576. I don't know what that number relates to. I don't know if there's like a... I don't either. Uh, an order of when you get sworn in as a Wiccan. Some kind of numerology switch. thing. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I love numerology. Uh, Catherine DeBolt. Blame Tengu. Holly Renee. Trisha Sorada. April Rose. And Ashley Hill. I wonder how much Brooke Cox got teased oh growing up. I know. I thought about that. And, she's, and her name is so close to Brooke Cox. I know. I you know. thought of that too? Yep. I was like, oh, you poor thing. Oh, she, she heard so many variations of like, are you bre- breaking cocks, broke cocks? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Do you have a brick cock? Like, you know, right. it's, like, it's endless. Yep. It's endless. Did I ever tell you about a, a girl I went to school with before you do your spoopy shout outs? Who, her name was Piper Cox. Oh. Mm-hmm. And you can just imagine the variations yep. there. Yep. Yep. Poor kid. Yep. Uh, well, I would like to do the following spoopy shout outs to Evangeline from your mom, Elizabeth. Happy birthday to Ashley from Michaela. Happy Dirty 30. You deserve <laughs> all the love and crab ragoons you can handle. <laughs> love you forever. To Nathan from Maddie. I love sharing each episode with you. Happy birthday and happy one year. To you. This to is me. so sweet. Yeah. To Dan, the hottest, hardest father daddy dripping in <laughs> olive oil who started this incredible, diverse, and loving bad magic community. From Brandon, happy seven years of Time Suck. I only oh. remember because my first episode was the day before my birthday. So also, happy birthday to me. Oh, thanks, Brandon. Okay, and then we have a very special spoopy shout out. Now, we got an email from fan Eileen. Her and her husband, she is pregnant, and they're expecting their first child. And they sent me their, um, you, you know, your report when you go for your sonogram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gender reveal. So uh-huh. they asked us if, well, me. Okay. Because I didn't tell you either because I okay. don't want to ruin it. Sure. If we would do their gender reveal for them. All right. Are you so I looked it? into all the can, like the, all the like the things that you can like fire yeah. off. And yeah, then yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm not cleaning up confetti in here. Ah. So I'm going to reveal it by showing you a Layla and the color of the Layla oh. correlates to the gender of your baby. 
So what? So what? What color is a boy? What color is a girl? Well, what do you think? Traditionally uh, speaking, tr- traditionally, I would say that it's a blue uh, Layla would be a boy, and a pink Layla would be a girl. Okay. Do you want to like vote on like you? You don't know Eileen. You don't know David. Do you want to vote on what you hope it is? Hmm. I'll just say like gut feet. Well, now I saw. I saw. Oh, you saw? I'm not going to say because I was guessing. I was wrong. Oh, okay. I was wrong. Dun, dun, dun. Ready? <laughs> yeah. Dun, 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 dun. You're having uh, a boy. And your baby is healthy. I read all the results. <laughs> Did that thing show up today? Um, I ordered one because I couldn't remember if we had a blue one at the Got studio. It. but so we that's why we had a blue one we coming. We do have a blue one. Yes. But I just in case, because I was like, oh no, yeah. what if we don't have a blue one? I wanted to have a blue and pink one, but- you guys, I still don't have a pink Layla. I know they exist, but I don't have one. So I love it. Before you showed that blue one, I went into a little rabbit hole in my head just real quick of like, okay, when you're asked like, what do you feel? And I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm gonna try and like feel some kind of energy. And I'm like, it's a girl. It's, I can feel it's a girl. It's my psychic powers. And, oh. then, and then immediately blue. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I don't have any powers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if any, yeah. If you were, okay, let's help them pick a name. I, mm-hmm. Now it, Pretend we don't have Kyler and Monroe and you got to name kids all over again. What would you name a boy and what would you name a girl? You get one name each. Ooh, man. I haven't thought for a long time about like favorite names because um, I don't really have a consistent one. What's a really cool, there's so many cool uh, boy ones. For some reason, I don't know why it just popped in my head. Jake okay. is a name I like. And then for a girl, I mean, these are pretty common names. But Sarah just popped in my head. Oh, okay. Well, Jake or Sarah? I'm surprised, Sarah, of all the names. Well, I've I've known a lot of Sarahs and some. Me, me too, mm-hmm. you guys. I don't have a good track record with Sarahs. Got to tell I, you, I've known some good Sarahs. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I haven't. <laughs> um. Well, because I never got to name children, I never got to use yeah. my names. Uh, my boy name was Felix, which okay. just is randomly my dad's middle name, but like it's not. I just love that name. Yeah. And my girl name is Adelaide, which I- Ooh, Adelaide's a good one. I love that name. I worked with a actress a million moons ago. Yeah. Maybe she was a model. We were doing a, a press campaign thing. And I was like, ooh, Adelaide. If I ever have a little girl, yeah. Adelaide. Can Addie? I toss out my- uh, Sure. Yeah. What ours were? Sure. Yeah. Our runner-ups were, if it was going to be a boy, I guess if we had another one, it'd be Clark. <laughs> Ooh, Ooh, yeah, Clark. And good. if we had a girl, uh, we she Kate really wanted Olive. Oh, Olive's good, too. Uh, having a boy, so we yeah. went with Oliver. Oh, yeah. is that how you got to Oliver? Okay. Nice, nice, okay. nice. Clark, uh, I just age and sense of humor, I immediately think of Clark Griswold from National Lampoon, Chevy Chase's character. I'm so much younger than you that I went to Clark Kent. Yeah, I was gonna say I, th- I, I always know think that of that's a superhero because it's like so, such a hard Clark Keith. <laughs> yeah, 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 oh, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. it's like good. Oh, yeah. Like I like the. Uh, what do you? And he'd have glasses most assuredly. So okay, okay. <laughs> and if he can spin in circles really fast and change his clothes, then. Oh, those were some good spoopy shoutouts. Yeah, those were fun. Yeah, so we were so excited. Thank you for trusting us with that information, um, and congratulations. I hope that you know you remain healthy and that the baby is healthy, and that's truly all that matters. Oh, yes, congrats. And if you pick one of her names, like that's cool too. <laughs> and uh, and that is our show. Thanks for continuing to send in your personal tales of terror to my story at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. You can email us for everything else. Info at scaredtodeathpodcast.com. Thank you to Logan Keith, who you just heard, uh, for producing, directing, scoring today. Thanks to Heather Rylander for organizing the My Story emails, to book editor Drew Atana for polishing and preparing listener stories for book number five, and thanks to producer Olivia Lee for finding the stories I told this week. If you would like to listen and watch, please subscribe to Bad Magic Productions on YouTube and check out the set. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you want pictures that accompany episodes at Scared to Death Podcasts, and we're on TikTok with the same handle. 
We also have a private Facebook group, Creeps and Peepers, that continues to grow. Uh, lots of horror lovers in there. And if you don't want any ads, you want monthly bonus episodes and more, check out our Patreon. And enjoy your nightmares, Creeps and Peepers. Hope you were scared to death. Bye. If spirits threaten me in this place, fight water by water and fire by fire. Banish their souls into nothingness and remove their powers until the last trace. Let these evil beings flee through time and space. Evil may pass through but has no home here within scared to death. Add Magic Productions. You know what somebody might need one day? Somebody might need a photo of an old man eating grapes in the woods. Exactly. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. Net credit. Credit to the people. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel.